So we have opportunities today to kind of dig into this day, this Feast of Purim, and look at it. And in the last few breaks, especially, and really target in on the prophetic kind of aspect of it. So you're in Revelation 19, basically. But one of the themes of Esther is wearing royal clothes. There's a wedding. Esther wears her royal robes when she has to go before the king to make the appeal. Got to capture his heart. And then when king wants to honor Mordecai for saving his life, gives his own royal robes to wear, right? So if that's the theme in the shadow of Purim, naturally it's also a theme found in Revelation 19. It should be there, right? It's the wedding of the Lamb. It says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So we get to kind of step in the shoes of Esther there. And, it, and to her it was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. If you actually read the story in Esther, you see that they get a chance to choose whatever they want to wear and all that. And So it's, it's this very distinctive part of, of the entire Purim thing. Then the bride transitions in Revelation 19 from the wedding to riding into battle on white horses. The bride is still wearing the same white linen behind Jesus, which was the shadow that Prime cast. So here's a little bit more of Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He is a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called is the Word of God. And so, again, Purim is all about this one-day war, and, you know, this is hand-to-hand combat, so they're all covered in blood at that mm-hmm. point. The armies that have an arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I bring all this up because when we read about the wedding there of the bride, right, we tend to see Jesus, the Lamb of God, in a very tender kind of light. I think that's just normal, right? But then his eyes are ablaze. His robe is bloody. There's this sword coming out of his mouth. We tend to switch and see him now as this mighty Lion of Judah. The tender lamb is gone, but it's important to realize that the mighty warrior riding the white horse is actually still the lamb. Mm. It's really easy to see Purim through the light of this great battle across all Persia and the thousands of Jewish people defeating the worst enemy. But when we arrive at Revelation 19, before the wedding and battle, there's four different songs beginning with the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Mm. Right? These are the four hallelujahs, or the great hallelujahs. As it happens, ten other songs precede these four hallelujahs, which are the last and greatest songs of Revelation. It's the crescendo of constant worship that begins in chapter 4 and 5 when we first arrive at the throne and encounter angels and creatures of all sorts. There's a scroll that can't be opened, but then we hear of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. No more crying now. Obviously, Jesus is the lion. No shocker there. Didn't, right. not, not a spoiler, right? But notice who takes the scroll and opens it. It's the lamb that had been slain. Mm, one and the same. Right. Now, this is where in our brains we kind of get it a little off. This is actually the only time we see Jesus called the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation. He's called the Lamb 28 times. Mm. So the title of 
the lion of the tribe of Judah is really important, but not really for the reason we think. And I wonder if we haven't gotten the wrong idea from Narnia and Aslan, which I love. I mean, my books are paperback, so very, very old. Marked up in the front and back. But the problem is Aslan plays both parts in the story of Jesus. He's the lamb that was slain, but he does this while being the lion. And then he brings justice as the lion. He's the claws and teeth, right? So the title of Lion of Judah for Jesus identifies his lineage as Messiah. It's to Mm -hmm. identify his nature, which is the word is praised. It's the meaning of the word Judah. It's not to change the perspective of who is bringing judgment. It's always the lamb that was slain. It's his wrath. Now, let me shoot you to Revelation chapter 6. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. Okay, everybody. (laughs) Hid themselves in caves in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And we miss that. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who's able to stand? So when we're looking at Jesus, we want to keep the right picture of him and understand who he is, because he's our bridegroom. Yeah. What does it mean to be of the line of Judah? Genesis 29 tells us the story of Jacob and his two wives, Rachel, whom he loved, and Leah, who was kind of forced to marry in order to marry Rachel. Not really a good deal there. They were both barren. We're going to pick up the story of Judah's arrival because we're looking for the Lion of Judah. So where does the name come from? So Genesis 29, when Yehovah saw that Leah was unloved or hated is one word you could use either one. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren or still barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because Yehovah has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So Reuben means to see or behold a son. Essentially, she's saying, now I am seen. I'm not invisible. I have worth. Mm. That's all she needed to feel loved. And yes, that is massively heartbreaking. So she conceived again and bore a son and said, because Jehovah has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. That means I'm heard. And can you imagine what it was like to live in a home where you're not wanted? She truly had no voice. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Now this time, a husband will be attached to me. Because I've born him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi. Now, Levi means joined to in the sense of marriage, or it, it, she could say, I'm his wife, the one who gives heirs, I'm valued. So, three sons. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise Jehovah. This time I will praise Jehovah. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. That's everything in that sentence in the verses. So important. Judah means praised. And I love the journey. She's no longer living for anyone's approval, acceptance, or value. This time, I praise Jehovah. And she had no more children. I mean, just wow. So the Lion of Judah isn't about the teeth and claws of God as a lion. We get that idea, but nah, it's the roar. It's praise. It's worship. Judah brings praise, even from the ones who've never been loved, have never praised him. He's beyond worthy of praise just because he is. See, the conqueror is a lamb. The lion provides the roar of love. That's what's so beautiful about the story. So when we arrive at this Purim story, don't get distracted by 
the victory and all that stuff. It's still about the celebration is about the celebration. You know, God is the one who's going to do this work, not us. And so sometimes we end up with this kind of a militant attitude mm-hmm. as a church. And, and we really need to take a step back and realize, no, we're still the lamb. We're not trying yeah. to turn into a lion here. It's the lamb. Well, and, that's been done before, you know. They thought he well, was going to yeah. be a military leader then. <laughs> and exactly. And then look, they end up crucifying the very Messiah. And here we are thousands of years later. And now it's just a... A mess, and yeah. more Jews are atheists than anything. So that's the great tragedy. If you miss the story, you'll miss the ending, and mm-hmm. and all the middle and the beauty of it. So we're gonna look at the waiting, which I think kills a lot of people. It's a, such a heavy journey. But uh, one more time, we'll come back and we'll uh, wrap things up. 